And now, broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast. This is episode number 57, recorded Wednesday, January 2nd, 2019. It's the new year. Uh, I'm recording this at 9.51 p.m. in downtown Chicago, and on this episode, it's going to be going to be very different, something I've never actually done before. Uh, I'm going to be playing uh, an episode for you of another podcast that I do, not only to um, uh, kind of bring light and promote it on this podcast, but I, this episode in particular of another podcast that I host uh, with my friend Ryan Thomas-Clark has... You know, it, it, it's one of my favorite episodes because we did a year in review of, of, of 2018 and the political, uh, you know, everything that's happened in politics and everything like that. We also talked about what we could expect in 2019 uh, with, you know, in, in answering some questions like the possibility of Trump being impeached, who could be, uh, you know, unexpectedly, uh, you know, put into uh, the president of the United States uh, office, his administration, of course, uh, more than 15 people, the, that's a record actually, that have been uh, fired or resigned or some sort of uh, departure from the White House. That's a record. We talked about that uh, because, you know, most presidents, I don't know if and we talked about this in the episode, you know, they only have three to four people statistically uh, that leave the White House in their whole administration. Uh, and, you know, that's regardless of if it's four or eight years, it's normally about three or four that are either fired or leave throughout their whole time in presidency. And Trump is only halfway through his first term. And uh, he's already had uh, more than 20 people leave, 15 prominently, like uh, Hope Hicks, Anthony Scaramucci, uh, and so many others uh, that have either been left, fired, or just had to get out of there for legal reasons. We're going to talk about that and a lot more on uh, episode 57 of the Jay Doherty Podcast, where, where uh, I'll be going over episode 23 of my other podcast, the JDRC Politics Podcast. It's all coming up next. Welcome back to another episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast. Of course, this is episode number 23, Wednesday, January 2nd, 2019, 9.53, as I'm uh, recording this right now. Uh, I wanted to share in this episode, of course, as I mentioned, uh, episode 23 of the JDRC Politics Podcast, which is uh, which is actually a podcast that, well, we've taken a break recently, but uh, we try to record at least uh, once on a weekly basis, where I talk to my friend Ryan Thomas-Clark about the latest in political news, and we do an in-depth analyzation of that and more uh, every single week. We broadcast it live on jdrcpolitics.com. We'll have that on the website in the show notes if you want to uh, go ahead and take a look at that. Uh, jdrcpolitics.com is where we broadcast those live. We talk about uh, politics in this episode, in this most recent episode, we did a year in review, and uh, we actually had a six-page document that we outlined with every, well, there's tons of, you know, of course, prominent political moments, but in this episode, we, the main things uh, that we went over 
uh, and we actually went in depth about is we talked about the, of course, the very prominent America and China. They started a trade war. We talked about the uh, extensive extensive, excuse me, tariffs that uh, Trump levied on China, and some that he even held back, especially in the new year of 2018, right in the beginning. Um, you know, we also talked about overall the chaotic year, uh, especially in terms of the administration's staffing for Trump. Uh, we talked about, of course, uh, people like Ryan Zink, uh, James Mattis' recent re- resignations, Jeff Sessions, uh, Donald McGahn, Scott Pruitt, Rex Tillerson, Hope Hicks, uh, Andrew McCabe, Amorosa Manigold-Newman, James Comey, Anthony Scaramucci, Sean Spicer, Michael Flynn, and others who have been fired from uh, the Trump administration or have resigned uh, from the Trump administration. It's just a departure in general. and we also talked about, of course, the numerous scandals that uh, each of them have developed in one way or another. We talked about the 28 midterms in general, how the Democrats won the House, but Republicans increased the, their majority, of course, in the Senate. So uh, the, the Democrats uh, kind of got back into it, but not as much as they probably should or could have. Uh, and that's something that we talked about and how, uh, you know, that impacts uh, not only the House of Representatives, but also the Senate. Um of course, we talked about the infamous uh, Kavanaugh hearing. We talked about how he was confirmed, uh, and uh, we even uh, got to talking about the specific memo that was recently released uh, about the conversations with uh, uh, that the that a therapist and a private uh, prosecutor, uh, Rachel Mitchell. Um, who questioned her, uh, we talked about the memo about that, and we went through all the details, how there were some inconsistencies in what she was saying, and how, of course, he was confirmed later uh, with the vote, I believe, being 50 to 48. We also talked about some international news, of course, with Britain, Russia, um, Brazil, and Mexico, along with France uh, and others. We talked about, um, of course, the a very famous Russian story, Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia were poisoned with an er, with a nerve agent. Um, we talked, we covered that on a way back episode, I think about thirteen, and we're now uh, revisiting it ten episodes later. Uh, in this episode, where we talked about the year in review. We also talked about uh, the Brexit, and you know, of course that's scheduled for March of this year, and how it's been in the works and been talked about for now since uh, 2015. So three years of trying to get out of uh, you know the exit from the EU, and uh, you know no success for three years straight. Will Theresa May uh, get out of there and lead the parl- the lead the administration, lead the uh, Britain as a country out of uh, the uh, European Union in, in, you know, successfully achieving her Brexit goal. Uh, those were the two, one of the two, uh, or one of the, fu- or two, sorry, two of the five international topics that we talked about uh, on this episode of the podcast, uh, 23. Uh, we also talked about uh, Brazil. Uh, president Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro was elected the president of uh, Brazil. He's the first uh, conservative candidate that was elected in many, many years. We talked about that. And we also talked about AMLO. If you don't know who that is, you have to listen to the episode. Um, of course, his last name is Lopez Obrador. Um, he's, of course, the left nationalist, pretty much a leftist politician who was uh, just running. He was he served as mayor of um, Mexico uh, from 2000 to 2005. He lost the, the uh, run for re-election in 2006. Um, and... Um, that was something that was very prominent, but now he's actually running to uh, for for presidency of Mexico. Uh, something that uh, is kind of unexpected, but um, 
he held a ceremony where he declared himself, uh, what, and we talked about this, of course, where he, uh, declared himself something that was really unprecedented, and I can't find the exact, uh, quote here, actually declared himself, sorry, the legitimate president of Mexico, even though, of course, he does not hel- uh, hold the title, Enrique Peña Nieto does, uh, he also, uh, created a cabinet of denunciation, uh, um, I'm sorry, yes, denunciation to aid his program and abolish uh, um, various government institutions. And we even talked about, I took my take on it, was kind of that he was the combination of Slavo Zizek and Alex Jones, which we talked about on the the episode as well. Um, We also talked about, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, in France, uh, Mr. Macron, uh, he, of course, is coming up. He's been talking about, uh, we've talked about how he's kind of a Jupiterian. He is the rich person's president. Uh, he's kind of consistent with, uh, well, not really with Trump, but they seem to have a very strange relationship. We talked about that. And we also talked about, um, you know, the way that his policies, especially within taxes, have uh, greatly benefited the rich and not really so much uh, the the rural areas and the poorer people um, in his uh, in his you know, the people that live in his country, and those were the kind of policies that he implemented. We analyzed some of the themes and talked about our opinions on them. Uh, some things that we did not get, well, we talked about each of these briefly, but we did not have time, because the episode was so long, to get into all of the details. We talked about, uh, of course, we briefly mentioned uh, Facebook. They had all those scandals, Cambridge Analytica and fake news. That was a big uh, thing in 2018. We also talked about, of course, Bashar al-Assad. He used chemical weapons against rebels, and, of course, America retaliated. Uh, Z Xi Jinping uh, cemented his authority. That was a big thing. Um, Kim Jong-un and Trump, they had a meeting, but they've made no progress, or very little progress, I suppose you could say, negotiating the DPRK. Uh, Trump, of course, exited the Iran deal and levied crippling sanctions. There's populists. They now control Italy. Putin is continuing his role as the Russian uh, president and, uh, you know, what that means for uh, government, in, in not only in Russia, but also the United States and other parts of the world. Uh, we talked about... Uh, the very briefly, the Malaysians, they got rid of their corrupt party. We talked about climate change and the devastating wildfires. Um, and of course, Trump denied that, um, global warming and climate change as a whole had any role to play in it whatsoever. Uh, We talked about that, and we've talked about that on previous episodes, of course. talked about the epidemic of gun violence, how it's continued in the United States uh, with illegal and legal guns. We talked about uh, some other international news with uh, Ethiopia and Saudi Arabia. Ethiopia, of course, uh, engaged in peace efforts with uh, Eritrea, and the Saudi agents uh, murdered, of course, the very famous, uh, well, not, well, famous now, but uh, before he was uh, uh, it was a journalist, Jamal Khashoggi, uh, who was murdered by the Saudis uh, and everything like that. So, certainly uh, very interesting topics. We had some questions that we wanted to reflect on in the episode, um, and we kind of answered them as we went through the episode, but the things that I kind of took away from it and that we even, uh, when we were planning out the episode over the course of, like, four hours, um, what we wanted to answer, basically, through all, all of our analyzations and, um, you know, going through all these uh, very in-depth topics, we talked, we wanted to answer, um, you know, what will lead up to the 2020 elections, what will that be like, how will the Macron, how will he, will he be re-elected, what does that mean for France, we'll talk about how will the uh, British exit from the European Union go, will the moon re-enter the international, uh, you know, uh, consciousness, I suppose you could call it, 
Um, will there be worldwide economic troubles that will stem from the United States? How will SCOTUS change? How will American control the uh, Middle East, and how will that potentially end? Um, you know, end. Uh, and how will you know directly because we've seen historically so much interference and uh, commentary from Russia? How how will they and others respond uh, if the American uh, if you know America and uh, our regime uh, controls uh, the Middle East? How will Russia respond to that? That's those are some certainly big things that uh, we needed and wanted to talk about on this episode of the JDRC Politics Podcast. And um, we actually next week or next episode that we release, we are planning to actually. Go out into the public and ask people uh, what they think about some of these issues. Uh, and you know, of course, well, some of them will be complex. Some of them will be uh, not so complex. Some of them will be pretty simple. Uh, it'll kind of be a wide variety of issues that we want to ask tons of different people all around this city of Chicago, where we broadcast from, uh, and kind of just. Uh, express the diversification of views within a somewhat liberal, well, actually very liberal city, um, and, uh, yeah, we're very interested in in seeing exactly what that will look like in the future, um, but that'll be coming up next. If you want to hear that episode, you can go to jdrcpolitics.com slash episode 24, assuming that it's out by the time you're listening to this, which it probably will be, but, uh, if you want to, uh, listen to that, you can go ahead and do that. Um, at that uh, URL. Um, if you want to uh, learn more about the podcast itself, of course, jdrcpolitics.com is the place to go. But if you want to get the constant news updates that we constantly push out, go to uh, twitter.com slash jdrcpolitics, where all the new episodes are posted. You can get some uh, direct information from the tweets and everything like that. Uh, some uh, you know chatter online about what uh, people think of the podcast and... Uh, you know, people who follow the podcast, it's retweeted, it gets retweeted, sometimes, you know, other topics are mentioned and things like that, we talk about some sneak peeks, we will somehow, we'll, or I will sometimes go into the audio, edit it, edit some things out, give you a preview, it all happens on Twitter, so Twitter is the place to go, twitter.com slash jdrcpolitics, that is the place uh, to go for that, and, um, yeah, I mean, the website and Twitter are two big places. Of course, we've seen the rise of Twitter and everything, and, you know, we wanted to go along with that, play into the capitalistic regime that is the United States government with using Twitter and things like that. Uh, and that was the goal. So, uh, without further ado, I do want to play this episode. This is episode number 23 of the JDRC Politics Podcast. If you want to listen to the full thing, which you'll hear in a second, but if you want to re-listen to it, if you want to share it with someone, uh, you can find the podcast in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, any of your favorite podcast directories. It's syndicated worldwide, nationally, not not only on the internet, but in some other podcast directories as well. It's hosted right here uh, in Chicago as well. And uh, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, at uh, jdrcpolitics.com. You can listen to it there or any of your favorite podcast directories. This is the J. Doherty Podcast. I'm going to be playing for you episode number 23. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the JDRC Politics Podcast. This is episode number 23. It is entitled Farewell 2018. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, January 2nd, 2019. And on this episode, we're going to be doing a year in review. Everything that we learned in in politics and that we experienced 
uh, in 2018. Uh, we'll be talking about America and China. Of course, they started a trade war in this year. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the uh, chaotic year in the White House and perhaps looking ahead in 2019 to see if the uh, 2019 year is going to be less or more chaotic, of course, as the one that we just experienced. We'll talk about the 2018 midterms and in terms of turnout and uh, some party lines that have... Uh, been crossed or not been crossed. We'll talk about uh, uh, Theresa May and some uh, international news. We'll talk about uh, Britain and then we'll get to Russia. We'll talk about uh, Sk- Sergei Skripal and his daughter. Uh, and there's a lot of other United States uh, news that has happened in 2018, of course, uh, which my co-host Ryan Clark is going to talk about right now. Today on this episode, we're also going to be discussing the uh wave of populism that has been happening around the world with Jair Bolsonaro being elected, AMLO becoming the president of Mexico, uh, and then of course some of the backlash uh, that is happening against Macron, uh, as well as the populist party which is taking control of Italy, the uh, changes to the government in Malaysia, and the continuation of Putin's rule in Russia. We're going to be talking about that and so much more, including some questions that we have about the future of politics in 2019. It's all coming up next on episode number 23 of the JDRC Politics Podcast. Broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, this is the JDRC Politics Podcast with your hosts, Jay Doherty and Ryan Clark. That is right. That is the new intro for the JDRC Politics Podcast. And we are back for the new year. It's January 2nd, Wednesday. Of course, uh, my good friend and co-host Ryan Clark joins me here in the studio. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. So happy to be back in the studio to talk about all of the uh, surprises of 2018. Yes, there's a lot to talk about. It's all coming up next. And we are back for another episode of the JDRC Politics Podcast. We've actually taken a lot of time to reflect on uh, politics in general, a lot of time off from this podcast, and I'm very glad to be back for another episode. There's a lot to talk about. On this episode, we're going to be doing a year in review about politics and everything just in general of what has happened in the political scheme uh, in in the United States and and around the world uh, just in general, because 2018 was a very busy year with politics. Uh, We'll start with just America and China. That was a very prominent story. They started a trade war. Um, There were a lot of tariffs that were, you know, levied and uh, things that happened just between America and China, especially verbally with Trump and, uh, you know, uh, the president of China, Xi Jinping, uh, who they've, you know, talked kind of extensively, or at least Trump has claimed that they've talked extensively. And Ryan, I know you looked at this very uh, large issue a lot. Uh, Do you want to talk just a little bit about it? Absolutely. So this has been... uh basically the result of one of Trump's uh, main campaign promises, 
which uh, is to retaliate against China uh, for what he and many others perceive as some of the injustices that they have perpetrated over the years. Um, and, and this is dealing with uh, taking of American intellectual property uh, through hacking, but also through the complex of economic regulations, which force companies to hand over uh, some of their intellectual property and some of their business to China, uh, just like is happening uh, right now. We know uh, Google is making a search engine just for China that will comply with its rules, and Apple is building a center in China, which is probably going to have the result of China having access to a lot of uh, Apple's data, and and uh, examples like this are paradigmatic of kind of China's force, and of course some more uh, direct uh what, what has been characterized as theft of American intellectual property, which is uh, giving business over to China unfairly. So Trump has launched these tariffs uh, on all sorts of goods on China uh, with the intent that they will uh, redirect some of that business to uh, the United States. But of course, uh, there are a lot of critics of this policy, and we've talked in the past about how tariffs um, are, are uh, seldom a or at least certainly not in this case, uh, maybe the best tactic, because right now what's happening here is national security concerns are uh, being manifested in economic changes. And so critics are, are, are saying that that's not such a good thing uh, uh, regarding how this is going to work, and it might help some businesses, but it's also going to hurt others. And uh, we've talked a lot about the aluminum and steel industries and how those are being affected uh, by some of the additional tariffs against Canada and the EU. Yeah, exactly. And I think you pointed out, you know, it might hurt some businesses, but help others. I think just not not only foreignly, but also just in the domestic way that businesses have been treated in terms of their interaction with the government, like taxes and other things. That seems to be kind of a big theme um, within the Trump presidency, at least within 2018. And uh, I think the most, the last most prominent uh, time that. Um, Trump and uh, the Chinese president spoke publicly. Was at the uh, Buenos Aires uh, summit, the G20 summit. Was is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and they were actually they were at. It was actually kind of a, an interesting picture. Trump basically had the uh, top members of his cabinet, and he was sitting directly across at a very long, almost like a. Uh, it kind of reminded me of a dictator-like uh, kind of summit. Even though you know, of course, one's communist and one is. Uh, you know, through democracy and capitalism and everything, but it it kind of reminded me a very very different type of image and kind of the just demeanor of both of them and the way that they interacted was very interesting. We'll have the video posted uh, on the website, but just so you can get a little bit of an idea um, of what exactly everything you know looked like and sounded like, I'm going to play just a short part of this video. It's a very important meeting. A lot of people are looking forward to it. I know that President Xi and myself are looking forward to it, and. We've also established an incredible relationship. I want to thank the President for his nice best wishes to the Bush family. We'll be talking about a number of topics. Uh, one topic that we'll bring up will be the fentanyl problem that we have in the United States, which is a tremendous problem. And he goes on to talk about, you know, the cr criminalization of, uh, you know, fentanyl and other, the opioid crisis in general um, in China as they have been kind of a prominent player uh, in the manufacturing of it and other things like that. But they do go on to talk about trade and they talk about... Um, 
you know, tariffs, and they actually talked to plan a, uh, or cancel a tariff that was supposed to uh, be enacted and put put into place on January 1st, uh, but that did not uh, end up happening due to the talks that they had, and uh, Ryan, I think you did a great job outlining everything that has happened in terms of, you know, China and the growth and interaction between uh, the United States and everything. Is there anything else that we should talk about uh, specifically related to this story? Before we move on, well, uh, I'd like to point out some of the uh, specific ramifications of this policy of this trade war. Uh, so, for instance, the American aluminum and steel industries—they have really benefited from this uh, in yeah. terms of uh, their efficiency as businesses. But other companies which need to buy these products to use aluminum and steel. Uh, so, of course, car companies. Yeah, like need Ford, that. and I saw you know GM and those those. Types oh yeah, of absolutely. They have been uh, suffering, and even Jaguar too. Oh right, yeah. And even too, if you think about all of the drink uh, cans, they're made out of aluminum. So right. Coca Cola is having to yeah. raise prices. So uh, some of the uh, benefits it creates also creates disadvantages uh, domestically, uh, and really, uh, we don't know where this trade war is going to be going in. 2019 right now, but we can expect that uh, Trump's behavior was uh, very bold this year, and so he's not going to be afraid uh, to continue that, even when uh, people are advising against it within his administration, uh, as has happened. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that goes, and if we're really going to get uh, the the results that we want. And also, I'd like to point out, of course, a few decades ago, uh, the U.S. was engaged in a trade war with Japan and ultimately it was devastating for Japan's economy. So China recognizes this, and China is, is really going to be looking uh, at the lessons of that and trying to uh, avoid some of the pitfalls that Japan faced. So it's going to be interesting to see what Japan, uh, what China does, and of course this is um, coming with a wide range of behavior that is showing. Uh, the, the the decreasing of uh, America's former hegemon- hegemony as China is certain conducting certain military aggressions uh, and trying to exert its influence around Asia with uh, disputes over islands and, and and all sorts of things like that. Yeah, and just to, you talked about in the beginning of what you, when you started talking um, the uh, kind of the applicability of this of this new policy, this trade policy that's been implemented, especially domestically. I think just to see you know companies like Coca Cola and of course other car companies like you mentioned, Ford, uh, General Motors, and others, um, you know, having to raise prices or, or you know because they have to you know comply and, and afford their uh, you know items and commodities that allow them to have a successful product. And I don't want to go on too much of a tangent here, but you know. Companies like Coca-Cola, you know, they're, they, and this is just an example, just because it's kind of irrelevant, um, not irrelevant, relevant, sorry, uh, um, Coca-Cola, uh, you know, they can raise, pri- pretty much, they can raise prices, um, as long as they're, you know, as long as they have loyalty and everything, and people will still buy their product, and it's like, you know, things like, I mean, obviously, have we seen just, you know, market-wide in terms of, uh, you know, Apple and other technology companies, you know, they'll raise prices to the incredible amounts that they are. I mean, you know, you can get the, um, there's there's a phone right now that's, you know, 
uh, almost uh, $1,200 after tax, people still buy it, and they've been raising prices. I mean, just four years ago, you know, you could buy an iPhone for 600 bucks, and now it's twelve. It's double that at about 1200 And that's just kind of, I mean, I know this is kind of off-topic in a way, but I think, you know, with these policies being implemented and that, you know, they really do have uh, not only international applicability, but also... Um, domestic applicability as well um and now and that that's, but that that is relevant of course apple has been raising its prices for uh reasons other than oh right exactly inflation yeah. or or but but it the problems with aluminum because every single apple device is made out of an aluminum casing right they have had to that they have had to absorb some of the cost of that and that may uh, be some of the reason for the shift to a more luxury uh, higher uh, over one thousand dollar pricing for Apple products. Right. Yeah. Just in general, and you know, we'll we'll see, of course, how trends like that will uh, continue, or maybe not even continue in the next couple of years. I think they'll continue. Is there anything else that we need to uh, analyze? I know. I know we just outlined kind of the policy. Is there anything else on this story? Well, the final takeaways is uh, to look at the differences between the American U.S. economy, uh, the American and the Chinese economy, rather. <laughs> uh, this isn't just between two uh, countries with free markets that are uh, doing it out in a trade war. Rather, this is somewhat asymmetric and not in the sense that uh, one country has a distinct advantage over another, but rather that they are fundamentally different in that uh, China exerts as much authority over its economy as the government wants to. Of course, this isn't really a communist country or socialist country, but it can uh, exert its as much of its control over Chinese industries as it sees best. And one of the hopes for uh, democracy was that uh, industry will will move towards uh, democracy because uh, a free market is always going to outperform a, a, a planned economy or something like that right. or a situation in China. And now we're learning that's not the case. Actually, the Chinese economy can... Uh, do things that other economies just can't because of uh, without democracy, with a uh, politburo being able to say whatever it wants. And so it, it's really uh, a battle of these two economic systems uh, that that we're seeing here more than simply a, a conflict between two uh, uh, states with similar economies. Especially, yeah, so you're totally right, especially when they clash and kind of, I mean, Trump has just campaigned, as you mentioned in the very early episode of the, you know, in the beginning, uh, Trump really campaigned and talked about China in his, in his, uh, in his uh, campaign rallies and speeches. He really, really, you know, fought hard and talked about uh, China and, you know, how he can better the relationship and just make it more, not only beneficial for both, but especially the United States, which is pretty much the whole goal of the presidency to better uh, the country. Um, I think we we pretty much covered it. Um, would you agree, Ryan? Yeah, let's uh, move on now to our next topic. We're going to be talking about the general uh, chaos in the White House. It's all coming up next on episode 23 of the JDRC Politics Podcast. Trump, of course, had another chaotic year in the White House throughout 2018. Um, you know, 
most of the time, just historically, we've seen um, typically that one, uh, only one or two departures, um, you know, in terms of staffing by their, you know, third year. There have been a lot of people that have quit and resigned from the White House. Uh, there's been five communication directors in total. Four secretaries of Veterans Affairs, uh, National Security Advisors, and also Secretary of Health and Human Services. So, I mean, there have been a lot of people that have quit this administration for uh, just a plethora of different reasons. Um, Just to name a couple, in chronological order, of course, (laughs) starting with... um, the most uh, recent, of course, De- uh, Defense Secretary James Mattis, his resignation, uh, who also goes by Mad Dog Mattis, of course, who, you know, he's he basically uh, stated that he left this office um, because of fundamental uh, disagreements with the way that Trump planned to govern in terms of the military and everything like that, which, of course, he's the head of. Um, Interior, Interior Secretary Ryan Zink's re- uh, resignation. Um, of course, the most prominent, uh, another one, Chief of Staff John Kelly, who I like to call the White House babysitter, uh, resigned. Um, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, of course, got fired recently. He really, Trump just you know, understood that that was a mistake. Um, United Nations Ambassador uh, Nikki Haley resigned. Um, there's tons of others, like uh, the EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt, which we covered a long time ago. You know, he he had incredible spending habits and re- insane requests uh, for, you know, certain things that he wanted to have in the White House, and even on his plane, he wanted to fly, you know, with all these 16-person Secret Service um detail, and unfortunately, no one knows what the EPA is, so, you know, he couldn't have that, uh, at all, um, and, you know, of course, Rex Tillerson was fired, uh, Trump went after him, just kind of randomly, Ryan, I don't know, we didn't have this, uh, planned out, but did you see the tweet that, uh, Trump sent out about Rex Tillerson after his firing? No, I did not. It was, okay, I'm gonna, I, I have the, kind of the points in my head, but he said, and I'm gonna get this quote in a second here, um, he said that Rex Tillerson, um, was a terrible mistake, was basically the theme of, uh, the tweet, and, um, the, um, and the, the tweet actually said, and I, I'm not even kidding, I thought this was almost a joke, like it was, uh, photoshopped, um, and now, of course, Mike Pompeo is, is the, um, the new Secretary of State, but Trump said, and I'm gonna get the exact tweet, he said that Rex Tillerson is, Far worse than his uh, predecessor, or than his successor, uh, Mike Pompeo. He called him uh, lazy as hell and dumb as a rock on Twitter. And it seemed almost uh, just weird. Like, it, the, the timeline of it was almost weird. Um, and I'm going to see here uh, exactly what the tweet said. But I believe that, I mean, that was pretty much, he just said that Mike Pompeo was much, much better. Um, and you know, it was, it was a very random tweet and I feel like maybe it was just on his mind. He wanted to get it out there, um, and everything like that. So, uh, it it was just interesting. He actually resigned on March 31st, 2018 and tweeted out about Mr. Tillerson or Tillerson resigned, uh, March 31st, 2018. And, uh, I'm sorry, was, uh, yeah, 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 and, um, Trump tweeted about this just, like, two months ago, so, I don't know, that seems pretty random, right? Yeah, it is, it's, it's odd that a Trump would still be considering that, and also that, uh, he would even think that it would be appropriate to say something like that, but, of course, uh, we know that he transgresses, uh, <laughs> all sorts of, uh, social norms, uh, yes, that of we course. expect of his office being the highest in the... Uh, United States federal government. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to, um, you know, 
Oh, here, this is the exact tweet, and I'm sorry for taking so long about this. He says, uh, Mike Pompeo is doing a great job. I'm very proud of him. His predecessor, Rex Tillerson, didn't have the mental capacity needed. He was dumb as a rock, and I couldn't get rid of him fast enough. He was lazy as hell. Now it is a new, a whole new ball game. Great spirit at state. And, you know, a couple, a lot of people, I'm just looking at my Twitter feed here, a guy named Andy Kindler said, Do you ever think your constant need to insult other people's intelligence is an indication that you're insecure about your own intelligence? Of course you don't. You're a moron. Um, and, you know, I like, we're, uh, as you'll see in a second, we're increasing our lin- listener interaction and interaction with the public. We're going to be doing some uh, public interviews, of course, and I just said my Twitter uh, timeline just to, for a reply, another reply, um, the female named Andy Ziesler said, right, I mean, who's the bleep jack wagon who hired Rex Tillerson? Because that guy's a real dummy. Uh, and that's kind of just amusing. And I just wanted to point that out because, you know, it's interesting that uh, Trump's pretty hypocritical. He really praised Rex Tillerson. I guess he offered him a favor. That's why he gave him the job. Um, you know, of course, the famous uh, Hope Hicks was resigned, and there were a lot of other uh, resignations, particularly within the FBI. Ryan, do you want to talk about some other uh, resignations, like uh, Andrew McCabe was one of them? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Andrew McCabe was fired. And then uh, we know all of the uh, the circus uh, surrounding Amarosa, Mary oh, yeah. Dalton Newman, who yeah, was fired a few months ago uh, because she is insane. <laughs> uh, we know that Steve Bannon uh, was forced out uh, for basically confirming all of the things that the Democrats were alleging about Trump's uh, racism and blah, blah, blah. And, and he was really the embodiment of that and uh, really kind of poisoning their image to be a, a legitimate uh government actor so of course he had to be fired uh, or forced out and then uh uh anthony uh scaramucci we remember him oh yeah uh his, his short uh time uh we love him we miss him uh and then there was uh press secretary sean spicer who we also miss too who was uh who had to resign uh because people are making fun of him on snl <laughs> it hurt his feelings. Yes. Uh, well, and also, just very quickly to point out, he resigned the moment Anthony Scaramucci came in, and, you know, it was it was kind of... It just I think he kind of was, like, he got the feeling like he wasn't welcome there. He was like, yeah, I'm going to resign. And also, you know, on top of that, these people were making fun of me, so... Hurt and then, feeling. of course, obviously, one of the bigger ones was uh, James Comey's firing. Oh, yeah. uh, and then uh, Michael Flint, too, after the... The indictments, and, and we're going to be talking about those indictments too. Uh, but, Jay, what do you think about just the scale of this? I mean, if we look at some of these statistical uh, uh, graphs and, and such, just showing, I mean, other presidents, maybe at most they might have one person leave uh, during their first term, maybe two or three, but having this number for this number of positions uh, it's something v- very rare that we haven't seen in a, in a long time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, totally. And, you know, as you said, you know, statistically, that is certainly something that we need to look at. But I think it's really a reflection on uh, the president and the administration that he wants to lead. You know, if you have these, I mean, uh, what... 15 plus people, and this isn't even the whole list, that have resigned uh, from the administration compared to others. I mean, it really not only reflects on, you know, Trump in the way that he and his staff lead the White House, but it also has a subsequent reflection on you know, the people who work there. Are they really the type that uh, should work there or that want to work there? Um, 
you know, we just have uh, Mr. Shanahan here that was that is going to replace uh, uh, Director James Mattis of or the Defense Secretary James Mattis. Uh, no military experience whatsoever. I feel like Trump is almost setting him up for failure. I mean, he doesn't know much about military. He's worked in the White House, of course. He's kind of risen up throughout the beginning of the administration now to get this big prominent political position or uh, defense position. And, you know, he really doesn't have any experience about that. That's just one example. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it really, this number of people that have either left or been fired, um, reflects on the, you know, the, the people who are fired really reflects on the choice of the president that he would even consider putting people who he would fire into office. Uh, and, and, you know, especially when we have these crazy attacks that happen months later about things, you know, that have happened and that are just seems so kind of irrelevant at the time period, um, you know, of news now that it's so fast and everything. So yeah, I think it really just does reflect on, uh, the president and the people that he chooses, the way that they're, they kind of conduct themselves. It really just reflects more on that than it does, you know, I, in my opinion, the system of government. Um, what do you think? And it also shows, uh, to something, uh, that Trump has, uh, repeated that, uh, loyalty and and in a way people being uh just doing what he says and following along exactly with every single uh component of his agenda yeah agenda is for him paramount and so just like as as now jim mattis is leaving uh because uh donald trump has shown that uh the positions of his aides the people in his cabinet it doesn't seem like they truly have uh a, an advisory function of course uh he doesn't have to follow uh what what they're saying it's not like a cabinet in some other countries, but uh, when he's going against what everyone is saying, and this is why Jim Mattis is leaving because of the uh, sudden pullout of troops from Syria. Yeah. And so it, it it's looking like really he just wants uh, yes-men people to uh, just be telling him what he's doing is great when it's clearly at odds yeah. uh, with the establishment in terms of uh, foreign policy and simply uh, how governance ought to be conducted. Yeah, exactly. And just on the broader issue of his mindset, like, the fact that he needs to not only be constantly appraised for what he thinks and what his opinions are, but the fact that he needs to be constantly appraised for, you know, strategic defense and things like that is just, it's really concerning. And I think it's it's almost narcissistic of the president to uh, even, you know, want that. And I, I think... He really is hiring people like this new guy, Mr. Shanahan, um, you know, who are, um, you know, who are kind of like, as you said, yes men and who are, you know. And also he has, he has no business leading uh, the Pentagon. Oh, no, whatsoever. He has no defense experience whatsoever. He's risen through the White House. He's probably just, you know, kissed Trump's rear end, basically, and to 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 the point where he is so high in the ranks, and uh, that's what's happened, uh, you know, in, in the White House, and I think that's actually seems to be how a lot of the people got their jobs. Uh, you know, Anthony Scaramucci, a fine example of that, and in terms of, as you mentioned, loyalty, I think Michael Cohen is a phenomenal example of you know, yes men, yes men, yes men. Uh, Michael Cohen willingly lied to people, to the court, to to tons of different people about legal deals that have you know occurred uh, between the between the now president. But even personally, he really liked the constant appraisal of himself, and you know, do well, this, do that. And then we should, mentality. of course, that leads, we have to talk about uh, uh, about the indictments too, the chaos that's been happening in another sense. 
with this Robert uh, with this Mueller uh, investigation, which is still rambling on into 2019. Oh, yeah. Just let's look Been back at the year about all of the uh, major aides who were indicted and involved with this investigation in some way. Yeah, tons, tons of people uh, to name. Just I mean, the the top, uh, of course, three uh, or four uh, were uh, George Papadopoulos, Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, and uh, Michael Flynn, uh, and Michael Cohen, of course. So I guess that's five. Um, those are really the big people that played a prominent role um, within you know the Mueller investigation who have been fired. If you don't know, um, uh, of course, Foreign Policy Advisor George Papadopoulos um, was a, a very large person. Ryan, do you want to talk about uh, him and Paul Manafort? Uh, well, I mean, I don't have any specific things, but uh, for uh, there's a lot of people alleging that uh, this uh, type of rush investigation from before it even started, that it was all a a kind of uh, a hoax that had just been fabricated and that there's nothing substantial to it. And it was a witch hunt. Um, if not only campaign aides, but also Michael Flynn was Trump's national security advisor in the White House during his time in office. Right. And so if you have. Uh, at least all of those people around you who are involved with this, uh, with uh, illegal dealings with Russia and such, uh, and we know all sorts of details that are happening with uh, Trump's uh, and and his family's attempts to uh, to create ties uh, to Russia. Um, it's not it's not a, a a fabrication. It's something that oh needs to be investigated. We shouldn't have uh, a a panic or or a, a, a kind of scapegoating uh, ritual where we're going to be alleging some huge uh, uh, conspiracy behind all this, but uh, saying that this investigation needs to be stopped immediately, as many members of the GOP have been saying, right. is just uh, totally inconsistent with the findings that clearly uh, many people who worked directly for Trump uh, were involved in, 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 in these crimes which occur with Russia. Yeah, and also just it's inconsistent with the values of America and, you know, investigating potential problems, uh, especially within the very powerful position of the president. And just at the bottom line, to be clear, all of these people, uh, uh, George Papadopoulos, Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, and uh, Michael Flynn, along with Michael Cohen, they have all been indicted for illegal activities with the Russian government. Uh, anything else about this story, Ryan? No, and of course we should add that uh, some of these people are in trials and in the oh, process right, yes. of being convicted. And, and some course, have already been convicted. People say also said, well, you can indict anybody, so why does it matter? But we know that juries are prosecuting these people, are declaring them guilty. Uh, just just to, uh, to continue the point that uh, this isn't uh, something that they pull out of thin air. It's a, it's a partisan tactic to discredit the Trump administration, which, of course, it— it may be in some ways, but it is it is legitimate. In the twenty eighteen midterms, the Democrats, of course, won the House, but the Republicans increased their majority in the Senate. Uh, the Democrats actually successfully gained. 
40 seats in the House of Representatives, uh, which basically just ended the Republicans' control uh, over the government, uh, the, or at least a total control over the government. Uh, Democrats, of course, gained uh, control of seven state governorships, and uh, Republicans only gained two seats in the Senate, of course, uh, out of the 100 that are uh, you know, available uh, in, in the total Senate. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of elections in in you know, uh, that have gone on, especially within the midterms, and statistically, this is actually the highest midterm turnout since 1914. It's a 15% higher turnout uh, than last year, which is very uh, interesting. We'll have a graph embedded on our website where you can take a look at what happened since 1914. Uh, a lot of people, you know, in terms of turnout and everything, it's it's increased. It's very, very successful. Um and, you know, there's been a lot of not just, I think, as a subsequent development, or this was a subsequent development of the kind of diversification of people that are different being in these uh, positions of power. There was a first openly gay governor, there was a first female Muslim, and there was a um, uh, first female Native American Congress members were elective, elected. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, America, of course, is a very diverse country. And now, I think that we've gotten, you know, past... Uh, collectively, uh, you know, in the majority have gotten past some of the stereotypes and racism and things like that. Um, you know, I think the government is starting to reflect that, which is a very positive thing. Um, so yeah, Ryan, uh, first of all, I want to get your opinion on what I just said, and, uh, you know, about the diversification within the government and within the, within the Senate. Uh, but what do you think about these congressional committees now that we have a little bit of a change in power in, in the, uh, Senate and House of Representatives in Congress? Well, I mean, there's a lot to talk about for this uh, midterm election. It's one of the uh, most important events in American government of the year that people were talking about all year. And, yeah, we're going to look at that gra- it, that graph that we talked about. Um, and it's been – and turnout last year for the last midterm was extremely low. Uh, and even the previous years where it was only between about uh, 42 and 36 percent. And now we've shot up to uh, almost 50 percent. Uh, which is showing uh, the enthusiasm and and how people were viewing this as so important and and of course dealing with such issues as the Kavanaugh hearings, which we're going to talk about later, uh, and so much uh, as viewing this as kind of retaliating for uh, Trump's victory to the White House for liberals. But of course, the Democrats uh, did not do as well as they hoped as yeah. as perhaps they could have in line with historical records, which we can talk about more later, but. I think uh, a government, if we really want to say that our society isn't racist, isn't sexist, whatever, if it should, uh, it should really be a sample of, on average, and of course we wouldn't artificially make this and force this or whatever, or even say that you know, it has to be this way, but a a democratic government should be a sample of all the people right. in the It should US. reflect the way that the population Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Yeah. So if we have... You know, a certain fraction of our of the population, uh, their ethnicities, their their gender, uh, everything. I w- I would like to see that be reflected in our Congress and throughout our government. And as we're moving close to that, I think that's certainly a a reassuring uh, sign of some type of progress being made. Yeah, we're certainly. Then, Sorry, oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. no, no, go ahead. But to to answer your other uh, uh point that you mentioned, uh, how is this actually going to affect? Because uh, really, we have to look at the Constitution uh, to look for how is this going to affect the power dynamics in our country. 
And of course, as the Republicans have a uh, a a slight majority in the Senate, they they gain two seats. Uh, the benefit of this is that, of course, uh, now they're going to be able to still be confirming any nominees that Donald Trump puts forward uh, without too much of a challenge. It can be uh, basically automatic for most nominees. However, uh, the advantage beyond uh, stopping the monopoly that the GOP had over the executive, legislative, and, and now the judicial branches is that by having a majority in the House, not only will Democrats be able to uh, block legislation, but they'll also begin be utilizing their investigative powers with all of those congressional committees, and they're going to be launching investigations on the Trump administration going forward, and that's going to be one of the things characterizing 2019. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I don't think it could have been said better. And you know, I, I really do appreciate that uh, kind of broad you know input and everything uh, on specific issues and everything. Um, I think we basically basically covered uh, everything. You know, in terms of the new uh, parties, you know, kind of crossovers and and potential kind of um, things. You know that. That have happened that could happen in the future. But we did have some interesting people, though, elected to. Oh uh, right, of course. I how could I even miss this? Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. We talked about her in another episode, uh, but she had a very notable victory. She uh, defeated the incumbent Joe Crowley in the 14th district of New York, and oh my, okay, she is probably one of the most, in, at least in modern history, uh, besides Donald Trump, uh, controversial political candidates because she was being. She self-identifies and uh, self-proclaimed democratic socialist. She is supporting a, a, a Green New Deal. She also calls, as we've talked about before, the uh, the abolition of ICE. Um, and she's also cri- criticized frequently Israel for occupying the West Bank. She is, you know, just one word to sum her up, controversy. What do you think about this? And the reason that we bring her up isn't because we want to... Oh, yeah, make fun of her or anything. <laughs> no, not make fun of her or, or think uh, or... or uh, uh, Diminish her views. Talk about yeah. her grayness or nothing like that. What we just want to show is how this is paradigmatic of something that we've talked about uh, earlier of kind of uh, this this divide that we're seeing uh, in, in the Democratic Party beyond some of the older, more uh, moderate people except for Bernie Sanders... Uh, but for the kind of uh, the kind of era of people like uh, Barack Obama and and Bill Clinton, who are who who represent a kind of the more uh, centrist uh, uh, Democratic Party against people like Alexander Ocasio Cortez and uh, Bernie Sanders, who are leading a a Democratic Party that is much more towards uh, more uh, left leaning ideas. Uh, and of course, people we've seen, uh, all of these, uh, all of the commentators on um, places like Fox News saying, "Oh no, she's a communist," and and this is all going to uh, destroy uh, the world and all sorts yeah, of stuff. Yeah, an existence as we know it, kind of a yeah, yeah, you're right. So uh, that it's something important to point out uh, because it was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, something in this uh, uh, in in this midterm showing kind of between the new Democrats and kind of a revitalization of some of those ideas. And, of course, as we've said, these aren't uh, – some of her ideas, of course, are uh, – could we maybe could truly consider uh, radical or give something like that. But a lot of these ideas were popular decades ago, but uh, 
uh, our country has has shifted away from those, and now it's saying like uh, they are returning. Yeah, indeed, that's uh, certainly a great point, and you know, Alexandria Cortez or Alexandria Ocasio Cortez certainly uh, a surprise and something that's brand new in the Democratic Party. Anything that we need to uh, talk about before we move on to uh, one Mr. Brett Kavanaugh? No. All right, that's next on JRC Politics. <laughs> So obviously, Brett Kavanaugh was nominated to succeed Anthony Kennedy, and uh, through his hearing, there were a lot of uh, brought uh, there were a lot of controversial things that were uh, brought up. Uh, Christine Blasey Ford, she was a female who testified that Kavanaugh in front of Congress that Kavanaugh had uh, sexually assaulted her in high school, and two other women claimed that Kavanaugh had also sexually assaulted uh, them. Uh, of course, Kavanaugh denied these accusations, and a prosecutor, uh, Rachel Mitchell, actually quest- questioned Ford, um, and it wasn't uh, in, in a judicial hear- uh, hearing or anything, um, but in, in a memo, uh, she called Ford's uh, evidence insufficient and not meriting of Kavanaugh being charged with a crime, and uh, we'll have the, uh, the memo, uh, which is actually on Politico's page, uh, embedded on the website, uh, and everything like that, but, uh, you know, even with these very controversial accusations with both parties, uh, you know, in very different views, not di- agreeing and disagreeing, and believing and not believing Kavanaugh, they confirmed that 50 to 48 was the vote, and Senator Suzanne Collins, uh, you know, uh, provided the decisive vote, of course, um, but there are a lot of things just beyond moving past his confirmation and, you know, past things that have happened, um, you know, within the United, you know, within, within the United States and within policy in specific of what Kavanaugh could actually do, um, you know, people, especially on the left, fear that Roe could be overturned, and they're concerned about, um, you know, Kavanaugh's, uh, what I, what Ryan and I like to infer, refer to as expansive interpretation of executive power. Ryan, do you want to talk about that, uh, what he believes to be executive power and how he could plan to use that power in this very large role? Oh, well, I don't have, uh, uh, too much to say specifically about that. Uh, but yeah, it does look like he is much more, as we've said, much more conservative than Anthony Kennedy. He's not going to be occupying that swing vote role. And so this is really, none of these, uh, conservative people on, uh, the court are going to be leaving, uh, anytime soon. And so I would really, though, like to say, though, that uh, it's not like he's going to give all of these powers to uh, Donald Trump right. and it's going to become some type of uh, far-right institution that is going to uh, override the powers of the legislature. Absolutely not, because even though uh, our Chief Justice, John Roberts, uh, is a conservative, we know uh, that he's certainly a, a pragmatist and he's been uh, like voting uh, and he helped uh, – uh, uh, confirming the constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act, going over with uh, some of the more left-wing justices in that 5-4 split. So he is uh, concerned with preserving the institutional legitimacy, which has been a theme since the very beginning of the Supreme Court. Uh, oh, yeah. Pragmatism over maybe some of the ideological concerns. Uh, but uh, it's he's definitely going uh, to to be changing uh, of the court, but he's a he has a very experienced and he has all of the necessary qualifications. And so there was all of the drama regarding that. But 
and, and a lot of people were decrying that he was still confirmed and how can how can we do this but uh, to to confirm him in uh, even with with uh, uh, Blasey Ford's allegations being sufficient uh, that's just ridiculous we'll look if you you we can you can read the memorandum but uh, of course the 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 Rachel Mitchell the investigative counsel she goes through all of these inconsistencies in her in yeah, her hearing is, even yeah. though it's very emotional and blah 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 and we look at her and crying or whatever and you know I, I can't make any statements about the ultimate veracity of what she said but uh, it's insufficient for it's not it, it would not be due process uh, and and she talks about uh, there was not a consistent account of when uh, the alleged assault happened. Uh, she didn't uh, identify him by name until he went into newspapers in uh, 2012. But but uh, he wasn't in the therapy notes as as she right. said, namely that there was some uh, anonymous uh, person who had sexually assaulted her, and and so many inconsistencies in her testimony, which are all laid out exactly in in uh, this document, which we're going to have. Which would just—it's not possible. And so the how politicized it's gone. Why don't you talk about? I mean, how they use the nuclear option uh, to prevent the filibuster as they've done in the past. This is up until recently. We would expect that a candidate like this, uh, most candidates would get a basically virtually unanimous confirmation in the Senate. And it's so unfortunate uh, how this has changed to this becoming a a fight to the death for every single nominee. Uh, and with and Merrick Garland, and it's it's very unfortunate. Oh, I totally agree with you know what you said and everything, and you know I think as you said uh, the idea of pragmatism and living in you know I mean it's very important even if you don't necessarily agree with um you know ideological values and things like that living in pragmatic reality and actually uh you know taking issues and seeing them uh, as they are and, and being kind of down to earth and about your interpretation about that, whether you disagree about the outcome of it uh, or make a controversial outcome of it, it's very important. And, uh, you know, of course, this kind of um, halted, at least in terms of time, uh, the confirmation of Mr. Kavanaugh. And there were lots of, you know, parodies and SNL skits about the way he acted because, as you can imagine, um, you know, he was getting pretty uh, annoyed about this type of stuff because it was kind of constant questioning, very repetitive, just like we've seen historically on other issues the uh, Senate hearings and testimonies seem to be. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I uh, kind of believe in terms of this issue. And uh, is there anything else you think we need to mention about Mr. Kavanaugh? Uh, no, but of course, yeah, just for how this relates to 2019, there's going to be, obviously there's going to be that shift in the court, but it's it's really not going to be uh, the end of the world. And ultimately, uh, a more conservative uh, Supreme Court is hopefully going to be, if if they are not being uh, so, so partisan as it may one day become, they're going to be deferring to the legislature, and then it ultimately just rests on, on voters, which is really of what a conservative Supreme Court should be doing. I totally agree. Uh, it is the JDRC Politics Podcast. We're going to move on to some international news. We'll talk about Britain, Russia, Brazil, Mexico, and France. It's all coming up next on episode 23 of the JDRC Politics Podcast. <laughs> Uh, 
and Theresa May is uh, clinging to power with no deal approved, but of course, by the parliament, and Brexit is scheduled for March 29th. If there's no deal, though, that is approved by the parliament, it could have a lot of painful repercussions for both uh, Europe and Britain uh, as a whole, uh, with large shortages and delays of uh, what are basically essential goods for the UK, um, certainly something that is uh, very concerning. Um, there's a lot of uh, more tumult in terms of, uh, you know, everything within Britain, regarding Britain uh, and Brexit, that could also empower the Labour victory to victory, uh, which is, you know, of course what it's uh, referred to as. Uh, Ryan, can you talk a little bit about uh, the prominent role that uh, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Corbyn plays within this Brexit and basically just British uh, ideology as a whole? Well, absolutely. So, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty about what's going to be happening with Brexit. As as you mentioned, Parliament has not approved the deal that the European Union offered. So there's a few uh, people are going to be looking for uh, reasons as to why this is or isn't going the way they want. Um, and so, yeah, we talk, there's the, that possibility of the Labour Party uh, gaining control of Parliament, which would uh, be very interesting because uh, Jeremy Corbyn is certainly the most... Uh, Left-leaning uh, uh, leader that the, that the Labour Party has had in quite a long time, as he is uh, favoring nationalizing utilities and railways, empowering trade unions more, and actually confiscating ten percent of the shares of all British companies. Uh, really radical changes uh, to uh, to how the UK their economy works, and I I don't think that's a uh, unlikely possibility, but. Uh, there's other unlikely possibilities, another referendum, um, or even leaving the EU with no deal at all, which would be really bad because we'd have shortages of all sorts of goods that we need, and it would be bad for the economy, which uh, this is going to be a tough year for the British economy regardless, uh, just looking at trends and, and predictions for that next year. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but it's really been uh, chaotic in Parliament this year, that's that's really been characterizing for this year as we're dealing with Brexit, uh, something which happened, of course, starting in 2016. And so it's it's still continuing. Uh, and so we're going to see if Theresa May can continue to uh, the the power that she has. Uh, so we're going to be looking out for that in 2019. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, see if it uh, goes through again. As I mentioned before, it's scheduled for March 29th. And that's basically uh, we're looking ahead to see, um, you know, based off of the past, what could happen in the future. It's the JDRC Politics Podcast, episode number 23. <laughs> Let's talk about the infamous Russian story. Of course, Russian agents poisoned Mr. Sergei Skripal and his daughter. Uh, Mr. Skripal was 66, his daughter 33, Yulia. Uh, they were both targeted with a rare nerve agent. Uh, and actually, uh, Skripal spied on Russia. And uh, we talked about this in a previous episode of when it actually uh, occurred. Um, and his death, of course, was likely carried out by agents from Russia. Uh, but it is unclear how England will respond 
respond to the likely uh, Russian aggression against them, um, and we'll actually see how the Russian aggression actually plays out. Um, of course, Russia themselves, as they always do, uh, denied the involvement with the attacks, but pretty much everything points to them uh, being you know behind the attacks. Um, Theresa May, who we just talked about with Brexit, uh, responded under a lot of political pressure about um, increasing airport security, uh, just kind of measures to make the country um, more secure, not only in terms of, um, you know, physical security, but, you know, people have asked her about, you know, freezing certain Russian state assets, seizing high-level bilateral contacts between, uh, the you know, the United Kingdom and Russia, and they've also, um, you know, been talking about having MPs in the royal family boycott the FIFA World Cup in Russia, there's been a lot of concerns, uh, you know, both with intellectual property and, uh, you know, physical property of uh, the assets of Russia and, and, and Britain as a whole. Um, you know, basically in this story, it's pretty much just the facts. Mr. Uh, Skripal and uh, his daughter were, you know, targeted with that uh, rare nerve agent. Uh, so, you know, and of course they were poisoned. Uh, there's nothing really much more to say. It was kind of a... Uh, just retaliation, um, and of course Russia denies it. Is there anything you think, Ryan, that we need to say about it, or you think that's? Oh uh, no, but this is just uh, paradigmatic of some of those uh, aggressive measures that um, that uh, have been being taken by Russia that we've been seeing, and of course, as you said, they denied it. But uh, looking out for that, as as Russia is wanting to paint its image a certain way and and pleading its innocence, it's still as trying to exert do. its authority through these uh, kind of almost cold era. Uh, Cold War era measures uh, and something that uh, the international community can't uh, and, and the West should not cozy up to Russia too much. Not at all, and uh, I think that's a very, very good point. Russia trying to be consistent, uh, not only with what they're saying, but also with their lies. It's the JDRC po- or sorry, the JDRC Politics Podcast, episode number There was a big election in Brazil. Ryan, do you want to talk about Mr. Bolsonaro? Absolutely. Jair Bolsonaro um, was uh, elected to be president of Brazil, uh, and this is the first uh, victory of a conservative in many years, especially as you know it was mainly the kind of more center and, and uh, left party that were uh, kind of competing for control of Brazil. But now uh, his conservative party, this third party, has emerged and and taken uh, power uh, over much of the country, and he's been elected. But uh, and he's pledging to reduce crime, to quote unquote liberate Brazil from socialism, uh, and and all of these conservative policies to make radical changes uh, to improve uh, people's life in uh, Brazil. But he's been uh, criticized, received censure from many people because. He's made comments against uh, all sorts of uh, minorities and women, uh, and people have accused him of of, of really being uh, just not sensitive to the importance of, of these people, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and also, he's been uh, people have criticized him for seemingly glorifying the days of uh, Brazil's military dictatorship that happened in the eighties, uh, which he served as a part of. So it's. Uh, something people are, are a little bit worried about, but we're going to see how it goes. And it's uh, another another uh, populist who is kind of uh, uh, kind of come to power. And yeah, I can read you all sorts of 
things. Uh, I never hit my ex-wife the many times I wanted to shoot her. He said that in 2000. I'm in favor of the military regime. Uh, the military police should have killed 1,000 prisoners rather than 111 prisoners. I'm in favor of torture. Um, yeah, just a lot of in general things that are just, yeah, insensitive. All sorts of things. Uh, I would never rape you because you don't deserve it. Um, if I see two men kissing on the street, I'll beat them up. Uh, all sorts of things like this, yeah. which are uh, probably worrying a lot of people and, and surprising for uh, Brazil's formerly uh, fairly liberal country. Yes, indeed, and that's uh, highly concerning, uh, especially historically for, for Brazil, as they, as you just said, uh, have leaned more liberally. Um, let's talk about Mexico on uh, episode 23 of the J.D. I apologize. Episode 23 of the JDRC Politics Podcast. Uh, AMLO, as we like to refer to him, his last name, of course, Lopez Abrador, is a nationalist uh, leftist politician who, uh, whose platform centers on eliminating corruption. Uh, which, this, this man. Yes, this man. I would, I would you know, I would Go like on a to, rant. So, no, 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 but I just would like to read, I mean, we can talk about, oh, I'm sorry for this uh, microphone uh, yes, telemetric that, that is my configuration fault. system. I, yes. uh, anyways, uh, so he was, we can talk about it, but. Uh, some of the fun things he said, uh, oh yes, he wants to help Mexico by creating a constitution of morals written by psychologists, Native Americans, philosophers, religious leaders, poets, and activists. After losing the uh, presidential election in 2006, uh, Lopez Obrador held a ceremony in which he declared himself the legitimate president of Mexico and created a cabinet of denunciation wow. to aid his program to abolish all to abolish the government, even just abolish the government, the government institutions which he said uh, were corrupt, and he's going to end the long dark night of neoliberalism and build here on earth a kingdom of justice and brotherhood. Okay, so th- he is this guy, and tell me if I'm wrong. He seems like a cross between uh, Slavo Zizek. And Alex Jones. Is that, is that the is that where the the cross comes? Is that it's, you know of course um, you know that kind of cross. I think that's pretty much where it comes from. Maybe maybe that's where the inspiration comes from. I, I don't know. Um, uh, you know, as you said, the constitution of morals and things. Uh, he's he of course is uh, looking to implement leftist oh, yeah, policies. Oh yeah, we can talk about. It. I mean, how he actually might be. Uh, qualified as a candidate. Why don't you talk about some of the things that he's done? Uh, yeah, his his time serving as the Mexico mayor, etc., and what he's looking to do uh, in Mexico in twenty nineteen. Yeah, well, I mean, as you mentioned, he said he, he's going to create a constitution of morals written by all these uh, you know philosophers and Native Americans and psychologists and religious leaders, poets and activists, and more. Um, you know, he wanted to um basically implement leftist policies into the government, and then increase government spending uh, in the process, of course, as well, which is a very leftist thing to do. Of course, you know, just conservative, or just generally the conservatives within the GOP, um, you know, want, you're the, the Republicans who support the GOP traditionally want less government interference. This man seems to want more, <laughs> of course, with this constitution of morals, which, you know, morals are something that, 
It just it is a human right to disagree with people on certain things, and if you're making a constitution based off of certain beliefs that could be implemented, you know, especially in this uh, way. But I mean, I I'd also like to add he's a he is a legitimate candidate because oh yes uh, yeah of course I mean, he's I just, insane yeah, or whatever. Insane. But as Mexico's mayor from uh, 2000 2005, he he, lost, he right? did he did do things. Uh, he tried to he made the government more efficient and cost effective, trying to reduce debt. Uh, and he worked with Rudy Giuliani and and decreasing violence in the capital. Uh, so I mean, of course, he is kind of a a another populist that we're talking about. But I think he is different uh, in some ways because uh, there's kind of this uh, strange intellectual strain uh, to to some of the things he's saying and and how much he loves uh, all of these ideas and concepts he's creating about ending the dark night of neoliberalism and getting poets and psychologists to uh, codify uh, morality and all sorts of these interesting ideas he has. So uh, he's certainly a very going to be a very interesting president, uh, but hopefully he really does help out Mexico, help out the Mexican economy, uh, because that is something that is uh, serious that he's going to have to deal with. That's going to be a challenge. I totally, definitely agree with that, and I think it certainly will be a challenge. Uh, we're going to move on to France on episode 23 of the JDRC Politics Podcast. Uh, Mr. Macron has had a challenging year uh, serving as the president um, in a role that uh, kind of counterpoints the waves of populist nationalism that is emerging across the world. Uh, Ryan, do you want to take a look at, or do you want to talk a little bit about the movements that have r- risen uh, through France and uh, what Mr. Macron is or is not doing to respond to them? Absolutely. Uh, so uh, so I I think Macron is another, uh, at, you know, maybe not to, uh, this is appropriate since we just talked about Lopez Obrador, but uh, Macron is very interesting, and I really... Uh, about his specific reforms, I mean, that's different, but I do think he is a, a hope for Europe. I do think he is, he's the only really politician there, and now it's looking like uh, in the world who is going to represent an alternative to the stupidity of populism, of nationalism, uh, and all of this uh, stupidity engulfing the world because he is uh, so egoistic and uh, so... Uh, uh, he as he talks about being a Jupiterian president, oh yeah, who can president rise above everybody to, and that's and because of all this image, uh, uh, I mean, he's he is a, he, I, I think he's a, you know, he's a he loves to play the piano and he can recite French poetry and yeah, yeah, so all he, that elitist. He type is I, exactly, but I do think though, but they are they are elite for a reason, and he is a is a hope for Europe. Uh, for being able to give a different narrative to what to what progress means beyond all this uh, silly silliness happening, but of course because of his economic changes, uh, moving to a kind of uh, liberalizing markets and freeing up companies to do more, uh, all of the regulations which were in some ways burdensome to them, but that's why he's being labeled by uh, people who don't like him the president of the rich because he gave tax cuts to richer people and. 
uh, fuel prices have been rising and the cost of living in some of the more rural areas. And so we had the Guillaume, the Yellow Vest movement, uh, which was overtaking France. And for a few days, they just, you know, burned everything down and, and protested. But I mean, and he did have to make some concessions of them, but he is still uh, in power. But his, his, his approval rating is uh, very uh, disappointingly low. And of course, it's empowering um, Marine Le Pen and all of that uh, garbage on that side of uh, the political spectrum in France. Uh, so I really hope that he can uh, get more support from his people because he's really going to be necessary uh, for maintaining uh, any global society that we have uh, and any hope for uh, <laughs> enlightened uh, progress beyond uh, this this uh, long dark night of, of, of nationalism and populism that is uh, over that is coming into the world. I totally agree, and I think you know. Uh, I think it's a fair characterization to say that he's uh, president of the rich because you know we've seen tax cuts that have benefited the rich, and you know of course I, you know <laughs> I just kind of off the topic here, uh, but. You know, he and Mr. Trump uh, have a strange relationship. Uh, we'll have a video. Uh, there's a video on YouTube where there's this compilation of them kind of interacting with each other. Uh, you know, he, he has these weird handshakes. He always is, you know, smiling kind of differently. Uh, it, it just kind of, it's, it's hard to explain, but it's a very strange uh, relationship that they both have. Um, and we'll talk about that, of course. Uh, you know, and they, they all met, of course, at the G20 summit, uh, which was very prominent. They signed something. It was just, it, you know, something, uh, an event that was very, very interesting, something interesting to look at. Um, and next on JDRC, we're going to be taking a look at some of the topics that we don't have time to cover on this episode. We're going to be asking the public, you guys out there, the listeners, about what this stuff means and uh, some some uh, other prominent political moments uh, of 2018 and what we could see in 2019. And you can expect to see some of that, of course, uh, in the coming episodes, but also on uh, episode 24 of the JDRC Politics Podcast, which will come out uh, after this episode. Of course, this is uh, episode 23 of the podcast, and uh, you'll be able to see some of that and a lot more. Uh, in, in the coming episodes of this podcast. Uh, I want to thank everyone, of course, for being here on this episode. If you have uh, any questions uh, or concerns or comments or practical jokes or anything you want to tell us, please go to jdrcpolitics.com and uh, follow us on Twitter as well, at jdrcpolitics is the official handle. Go ahead and, uh, and drop us a follow over on Twitter. Um, and yes, that is this episode of the JDRC Politics Podcast. Next one, we'll talk about and analyze people.